speaker has been recorded at an online meeting of Addictive Eaters Anonymous. You can email us at contact at aeainfo.org. I'm Jill, and I'm an addictive eater. I can remember having stashes of apple, and you know, I can't remember ever washing them before I, <laughs> washing the dirt off before I ate them, but I don't know why I had that. It was just that absolute, absolute, um, you know, compulsion to do that. Um, and I also um, had what I know now is, you know, very much the addict personality. You know, I was a miserable little child. I was always sorry for myself. I always hated everybody. I had no, absolutely no ability to get on with other kids whatsoever. Um, but I didn't know any of that was, was anything to do with my eating. You know, for many years, I thought I ate um, because I had miserable parents and lived in a miserable house and lived in a terrible, miserable town in a miserable country. And, um, you know, I read about um, how weight problems are often connected with sexual abuse. So I thought I must have been sexually abused, but I couldn't remember that. And then I read about repressed memory. So I thought, ah, that's my problem. I've got repressed memory of all these terrible things that never actually happened to me. And, you know, that was the sort of convoluted stuff that went through my head endlessly, absolutely endlessly, um, trying to figure out why I ate the way I did, why I was fat, why I was this miserable person. And it was amazing coming to this fellowship and discovering, you know, and I absolutely believe this, that there is one reason why I ate, and that was because I was an addictive eater. And the simplicity of that was absolutely amazing that all the stuff that used to go through my head was just a load of rubbish and I was just an addictive eater and you know I didn't I don't think um I swallowed that all in one great big hit on day one but you know it did sink into me with time that I was just a, just an addictive eater and there was there was nothing else to it and it was just you know, it was just the luck of the draw that I'd been born with that disease, and it keeps it very, very simple. I also discovered that all these problems that I had with me as a person and with the rest of the human race as other persons <laughs> um, were all just to do with my addiction. I didn't have this, this horde of lots and lots of different problems. I just had one problem and it was an addict it was addiction and that there was a solution for it. Um, I I remember really vividly the first meeting I went to um, in the town I live in now. I'd sort of dabbled in meetings in other places and I was, you know, I'd been going to AA for a while, but I dabbled in meetings in other places um, in a food fellowship and I'd never had any recovery. And I'm not sure, I don't think I had, had any, <laughs> any willingness either. But I remember so clearly the first meeting I came to here. And I, I can't remember a word anybody said at that meeting. But I do remember really clearly that these people were calm. 
you know, I woke up every morning of my life in a rage. Um, you know, my father always used to say, oh, you got out of bed on the wrong side again. I didn't know what that meant. Um, you know, since my bed was jammed up against the wall and there was only one way to get out of bed. Um, but I, I discovered <laughs> what that meant. Um, yeah, and I woke up every morning miserable, unhappy, nothing was good enough, no one was good enough. Um, the world was out to get me and I was going to get in first. And I went to bed at night knowing the world was a very miserable place and everybody had tried to get to me, but I'd got in first. And, you know, my life was just a long, a long tale of woe. It was a tale of anger. It was a tale of resentment. It was a tale of shame. It was a tale of guilt. It was a tale of fear. I remember somebody who often used to say to me, Jill, what if the sky should fall? Um, and that's what I was like, you know, everything was terrible. And to come to this meeting and see people who talked about being like that and they weren't like that anymore was, um, you know, just, it wasn't the end of my eating because I knew I was different and I could do things that other people did, um, couldn't do. But it was, um, it was the beginning of hope. And I remember leaving that, that meeting was just that little bit of hope. And it wasn't sort of, you know, in the past I've gone to meetings and thought, you know, if these dummies can do it, so can I. It was, my God, maybe there is a little bit of hope for me, you know, and I only needed that much hope. It was enough. It was a tiny little bit that maybe, maybe this, this um, fellowship might work for me because I could see these people. They, they were just calm. I knew they didn't wake up every morning hating the world. I could see it in them. Um, they, were, they were just, yeah, just calm is the biggest word that I think of. I mean, I'd probably use the word serenity today, but, you know, that wasn't in my vocabulary, thank you. Um, but it was, it was the calmness in them. And, you know, it was just wonderful. And, <clears throat> you know, just to, just because this is amazing, we had a meeting last night and we had five newcomers. And that was amazing for us. We haven't had many newcomers for quite a while at our face-to-face -face meetings. And we had an expo in the weekend. We had a booth at an expo in the weekend. And we had five people turn up last night. And they may never come again. Um, but, you know, it was wonderful for us. And it was wonderful to see them and to hear people in the meeting, you know, sharing their hope with those newcomers. And the hope that those newcomers would hear something, you know, of what we heard when we first came, first came to a meeting. It was just, you know, it was a, it was a very cool experience. Um, so, yeah, I, um, yeah, I started coming to meetings regularly. I got very involved in this, this fellowship. Um, I got a sponsor. I loved having a food plan. You know, my sponsor used to say, the answer's not in the food plan. And I thought, rubbish, it is for me. Um, I just, I just loved having a food plan because it gave me, you know, some certainty. I remember in those early days, I'd start driving home from work and my, my brain was pretty programmed towards what, it's, what it had done all its life. 
and it'd you know it'd start up thinking I'd be driving home from work and thinking about what I was going to have for dinner and I'd think oh I don't need to do that because I've got it all written down at home and it seemed like a miracle to me um yeah so so I had that you know that pink cloud period we all we all talk about in the fellowship and then somewhere along the line I wanted to do something different I remember I used to visit visit my parents um you know, who live quite a long way away. I'd visit them a couple of times a year. And my mother couldn't cope with anything, anyone being in the kitchen or doing their own thing with food. She just couldn't handle it. So I'd think, oh, I'll just, you know, what they have is pretty similar to what I have. So I'll just have that and it's okay. You know, never discussed it with my sponsor. I decided that, you know, telling my sponsor every time anything went wrong with my food was a bit... Um, what's the word? It didn't need to be done by mature people like me, so I stopped doing that. You know, and there were a lot of little things like that 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 I decided I didn't need to talk to my sponsor about. And as a result, I spent a lot of years in this program. Um, you know, I had my food plan, but I made exceptions to it when it suited me, and a lot of the time. You know, I was eating on the food plan, but always in the back of my mind was the idea that I can change things if I need to. And because of that, I didn't have a moment's peace because I was always tossing up. I was very involved in the program. I was very involved in service. You know, I always laugh and, you know, when people say service makes you sober, I think, no, it doesn't. Um, I was very involved, but I just, you know, I just, I just thought I was different and I could do things that other people couldn't do. And, you know, I did that for, I don't know, 16 years in this program. It was a long time. And, yeah, I just, I just didn't have any peace. I was, you know, I was always worried I'd say the wrong thing or somebody would see me buying something that wasn't what most people, you know, the fear that I lived in and that, that anxiety, there was just absolutely no peace of mind whatsoever. And I feel very grateful that what I was doing came to a head. I mean, I was terrified. I, I really, you know, I thought this secret will have to go, go to me with me to the grave because I've been so terrible. And eventually things got so bad that I had to go to my sponsor and you know, tell her what I'd been doing. And, um, you know, I thought I'd probably get excommunicated from AEA. Um, and I certainly thought my sponsor would sack me on the spot and nobody would ever speak to me again. Um, but what happened? I mean, I had no idea what was going to happen, happen next. And I had no idea that that was a point of desperation, that... You know, I remember when I first came to the program, my sponsor used to say, this program's for people who are desperate. And I knew I wanted it, but I knew I wasn't desperate. I knew what desperate was because I had been desperate when I went to AA. I knew exactly what that was like. And I knew I didn't have that. And finally, through those years of being absolutely dishonest about the, all those little things I was doing with the food that I wasn't talking through, you know, trying to live this double life of 
you know, being a, being a solid member and lying about everything I was doing and doing these, these other things, I got to that point where I just couldn't live like that anymore. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it another day. And, you know, I was astounded that that desire to eat was taken away. It just vanished, you know. And I absolutely believe that, you know, God, it is God taking away that that craving, you know, that craving, that obsession that had always been there, even it was in the back of my mind, it was there all the time. You know, that that was there one minute and, and not there the next minute and that God had taken it away. And, you know, what a what a miracle that that is. And, you know, since that time, um, I don't know, I, I spent two or three years after that feeling as though I didn't have a right to be here. And, you know, that all settled down. You know, that self-centeredness, it's all about me. Aren't I terrible, the worst person in the world? Um, but I haven't had to eat since that day. And I know I have a peace of mind today that I would never have dreamt of. You know, it was just astonishing for that desire to totally go away. I had no idea that that could... Well, I knew it could happen because I'd heard other people talk about it, but it never happened to me. And, you know, I know today food is absolutely in, in the right place. Um, I have the feel that I'm the need. I talk to my sponsor about food things. I don't think about food. You know, what a miracle it is not just to not eat, but to not want to eat, to not think about food. You know, I think, you know, a lot of us seem to just take that granted a lot of the time and we don't think about it. But, you know, you listen to a newcomer talking and, you know, sort of to remember what it's like to be absolutely gripped by that thinking about food. And, you know, what a blessing it is not not to be like that today and I know I'm not the bad tempered person I mean food was a very small symptom of my addiction and you know I just think it's amazing to not wake up in the morning and be angry with the world you know to say polite things to people you know to be nice to people I'm often genuinely surprised when I say something really courteous and considerate to people because I know that's not me that is absolutely God doing for me what I cannot do for myself. And it's also hearing in meetings. I just think being in meetings is such an absolutely critical thing for me. I need to be here. You know, I've got short-term memory loss and I forget. I forget very quickly the things that I learn in this program. And I need to be at meetings to, to hear the... Um, to hear the courtesy and the manners and the kindness of people who are living this program. And I hear it all the, all the time because if I'm at home, I don't hear the things that I'm not aware of, but I'll come here and somebody will, you know, I remember someone years ago always used to talk about putting the shopping trolley back in the supermarket, little things like that. Um, just the courtesies of life, the way people, the way decent human beings behave. And I need to, you know, I needed to learn that in the first place. And I need to, I need to hear it all the time now. I need that reinforcement, you know, and I do, I feel very, very privileged. You know, the word privileged comes up in my 
mind quite a lot lately. I don't know why, but you know, I feel very privileged to be one of the people who is here now in recovery to be able to, um, you know, share my story and to hear other people sharing their story and just have that um, peace of mind which which just eluded me for so many years. So thank you for asking me to share, Vanessa, and it's really lovely to be here and I look forward to listening to others. Thank you.